This is Make Yourself at Home, a BizNow podcast where we examine the impact of the pandemic and how it's reshaping real estate. My name's Miriam Hall. I'm BizNow's New York reporter. Today on the program, Jonathan Miller, the CEO of appraisal firm Miller Samuel and the city's go-to man for decades on residential sales and rental data. And what an extraordinary time it's been for the residential market in the city. Rents are down 14% on what they were last year, an incredible hit, but actually a vast improvement from the 20 to 25% drop that was prevalent last fall. With so many deals now available, people are rushing to sign leases, and Jonathan is predicting a youth renaissance in the city as a result. After the lockdown hit and you know people started to process what was going on, we were seeing um, you know, rents, well, we weren't seeing rents fall as quickly as you would think. Um, when a market when a market switches gears, it pivots, you know, uh, goes from, you know, all of a sudden it starts dropping or rising. Um, the pricing takes a little bit to react. It's the transaction volume that essentially was the first sign. Uh, so uh, back in April of last year, new lease signings uh, fell 71%. Yeah. 71% and then it was 62%. So, hey, it's better. Uh, you know, then it's 36%. You know, and every month it was just uh, a collapse. And then within a few months, we started seeing rents decline precipitously with the peak rate, you know, somewhere, depending on the segment, between 20 and 25% on a year-over-year basis, which is substantial. That's not a slight change. So basically everyone just pulled out of their, their lease deals in April. Yeah, I mean, I think the way to think of it is that people stopped signing leases and they, uh, they made other plans. And part of that too is that a lot of the action was in the renewal side, which is not public facing because in our, in the element report series and then whatever others that are out there nationwide, they're, they're always reporting on new leasing activity and new leasing activity in Manhattan is only about a third of the market right. and it's not public record, right? So you're sort of scraping for detail for details on what's happening where the renewals were the initial sort of deals were had because the landlord didn't want to lose the tenant and the tenant didn't want to go look for space during a global pandemic so they were sort of stuck together mm-hmm. and uh would work it out what's interesting about the rental market is once the lockdown ended at the end of june we started getting into the summer there was transparency. In other words, consumers, um, you know, could look at prop physically go, even though we're still, you know, still caution and, you know, and, and it's a little unnerving, but that really is when, um, you know, the data started to make more sense. Uh, we really saw rents plummet because there was nothing propping anything up. And we saw concessions, uh, surge. We saw vacancy surge. Uh, we saw the worst rental metrics that we've ever tracked. Um, you know, and I have rental data back to like 1991. So it was pretty, pretty severe. Um, yeah, that's what, I was, gonna, that was what I was going to say. I mean, had you ever seen anything? You had never seen anything this bad? No, I hadn't. Although, uh, no, I hadn't. And, uh, and, 
you know, I think when we talk about how housing has performed during the pandemic in, in Manhattan or, you know, just all the boroughs, uh, it's important to separate the sales market from the rental market because the sales market was, while it was clearly impacted, um, but in terms of pricing as we come out of it, you know, we're really talking about pricing on, um, you know, down five to seven percent with some pricing higher, you know, meaning that we're still having bidding wars, but, you know, at a, a lesser rate. Um, whereas the rental market was just crushed across all um, property types, you know, studios, one, two, threes. And in fact, what was really unusual about the rental market in this whole experience is that something counter to what we've been seeing for a number of years is that the lower end of the rental market, say the studio market, smaller one bedrooms, was actually the weakest segment because unemployment had uh, was much more punishing towards lower wage earners. And lower wage earners are more likely to be renters than homeowners. And um, you're not exclusively, obviously, but, but that's sort of the trend. And, uh, and they're more exposed, you know, in terms of, you know, um, you know, their wages and layoffs and, and all that. Mid-tier and upper-tier uh, salary types were not, did not see the same financial distress. They certainly saw their share, but disproportionately the, the, uh, the entry level uh, really got crushed um, because of, you know, all the uh, economic damage caused by the pandemic. The concession packages that I saw that were, and they were across the board. I mean, I was seeing Related was offering to pay moving costs, right. uh, three months, three rent. Uh, I saw one landlord was offering to pay, which I've never seen before, laundry costs. Really? I have never seen, that's <laughs> fascinating. Well, I mean, you know, and then the other wrinkle, the other wrinkle I found in, in terms of, you know, the sort of the market feedback was you started to see buildings not allowing moving trucks. <laughs> so, hey, you can rent this cheaper apartment, but you can't put your stuff in it. Mm. And the people that are leaving can't put their stuff in it or take okay. their stuff out of it. So it's like this, you know, f everybody's frozen. Um, yeah, and then you couldn't get a mover. There were no... Right, right. The saving grace for all this, I think, could be speculating here, is that we could actually, you know, we, we've seen vaccine adoption rapidly accelerate. You know, we had the Johnson & Johnson sort of setback now, but but just in general, you know, who would have thought we'd have 4 million vaccines a day in the U.S. just, you know, a month or two ago? It yeah. seemed impossible. It did, and so that's changing sentiment slowly. So that's important. Um, and also, you know, I think the rental market recovery is really contingent on uh, corporate America starting to call their employees back. And, you know, the default answer from any communications group at a company is September. Yeah. Uh, however, you know, you're starting to see a smattering of news stories where uh, companies are starting to talk about the summer. I think it was it was either Bank of America or JP Morgan uh, was talking about the summer at some point. I believe What's one that? of the banks said that their summer interns would be in person to kind of establish. Right, so they're starting with that. They're planting the seed, right? And then, 
So, so once that happens, I think you're going to see, especially in around central business districts where there's larger clusters of office, uh, that you're going to see that rapidly accelerate in terms of activity or rents stabilizing quicker in those markets. On top of just pumping in oxygen to street level retail, which, you know, what, what I've been saying um, for quite a while now is, you know, Manhattan, when you think about the rental market, you know, the, Manhattan has an optics problem. And yeah. the optics is that television camera pans over Times Square and all these boarded up retail yeah. spaces and, you know, piles of garbage and, and like that's Manhattan, but really, you know, if you go to the Upper East Side or just any residential neighborhood, it's not normal, but it's night and day from the business districts uh, in terms of people dining outside, walking around, everybody's got a mask on, you know, so it feels safer. And I think the bottom line with the trajectory of the rental market is going to be, um, you know, the first thing, you know, we always have this assumption that, you know, when rents stop falling, uh, that then they start rising. Um, when really, I think it's more that when rents stop falling, then we have a period of stabilizing conditions. And then at some point, you know, we start rising again. Um, you know, it just depends on what remote work looks like uh, after the pandemic becomes more manageable. Yeah, because well, what are we at now? We're at a 14% discount year over year for, for rents. Right. So right. that is extraordinary if we were to back out, say, two years. But when you compare it to last fall, rents were right. down 20 to 25%. So you're saying it's stabilizing now? Yeah, yeah. So we've seen four straight months. Recognize that rents tend to trend higher during this period of the year, but we've had four straight months with uh, no declines in month over month rent, mm -hmm. but it's interesting. So that's a sign that stabilization is coming or potentially coming, but it doesn't mean rents have stopped falling. Um, uh, but we're, we're, we're getting there, you know, it's very encouraging. I think it's interesting that we're looking at only in air quotes, a 14% drop versus like 24%, you know, six months ago on a year over year basis. And that's somehow just tremendous. You know, and I'm looking at it from the context of the landlord, right? They're still, they're still looking and they're not whole, but the sort of the massive discounting that we saw early on, that window is closing. Um, but I think 2021 is going to be, you know, we're, we're, the market's fighting for stabilization of rents. And I think 2021 is the process. And I think the inflection point could be when companies start calling employees back en masse. Because, you know, I think people forget or, or they, they, they incorrectly assume that, you know, after the pandemic is brought under control, that remote still favors the suburbs. Now, it does favor the suburbs, but not in, an, not in the way that is thought, because I'm very confident that many office workers that might, instead of working five days a week, end up working three or four days a week in the office and a couple days at home, 
many of them are going to be in Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that remote isn't the exclusive purview of the suburbs. So remote is going to be part of it, but I don't think in the rental calculus down the road, um, you know, that that's going to be a huge factor in sort of suppressing rents. Yeah, someone did say to me this week that the, the suburbs have always, you could always live in the suburbs. I mean, right. It's not right. like suddenly invented the suburbs. They've it's, actually been there for a long time. Yeah. I don't know if you... <laughs> yeah, they, they've been around for a while. And uh, right. they've always been in the mix. And it's true, there is one school of thought that would think a, your average New York City renter, say a young analyst at, you know, one of the banks or whatever, are they just... And, and they even if they did work from home three days a week, would they really want to go and live in Connecticut or like... right. Right. Being a resident of Connecticut, I take okay. offense to that, but I understand what you mean, no, which like they, is... They've just moved to New York City. <laughs> like the... Right, right. No, no. I think... Uh, so that's what I think the, the, the problem with the way this sort of narrative has sort of embedded in everybody's minds is it's this urban to suburban mm. shift. When it really was Manhattan to the outer boroughs and suburban initially... Yeah. And then, uh, and then that was the initial, you know, flood of activity outward was safety, right? It was a flight to safety and the suburbs was very affordable. Yeah. Um, the problem is, uh, uh, two problems. One is that about for the last couple of quarters in the suburban markets that we track in the sales market, Westchester, Fairfield and Long Island, uh, bidding wars are about a third of every count for about a third of all the closings. Wow. So pricing has risen rapidly. So that dramatic disparity in affordability, ha that gap has narrowed. And it really becomes this, you know, remote sort of flexible schedule scenario that involves either living in the city or the suburbs. Either one are sort of impacted by it. And, you know, when everybody was talking about, or not everybody, but many people were talking about, uh, you know, that's it for the city, you know, everything is, you know, that's it, it's over. Uh, I'm very skeptical about that because I felt that the original exodus was due to panic. Mm -hmm. And once consumers begin to start feeling more comfortable, which is already happening with the vaccine adoption, you know, you're seeing, you know, we've been seeing since the fall, uh, record new leasing activity. Now, part of that is just musical chairs, you know, people moving to a bigger apartment for the same rent or better location for the same rent or the same size for less rent. You know, they're getting better deals or they're moving to, you know, to other boroughs or they're coming from outer, the outer boroughs to, Manhattan, there's a lot of move around, but it's also inbound. And I think that also the false assumption is that all inbounds coming from the suburbs. And so when the suburbs, I mean, when the city started doing much better in terms of the sales market, you know, this quarter, the sales actually exceeded last year, year ago levels for the first time, that that would come at the expense of the suburbs, but it's not. The suburbs are still very strong. So the original sort of yeah. juxtaposition of urban versus suburban was false. Yeah. And and really it's the rental market's challenge has been 
uh, you know, net migration numbers were, uh, you know, um, very negative, but that's only because, you know, net migration is inbound minus outbound and the inbound uh, wasn't really accounted for because people are, you know, it's a pandemic. They're not coming in, you know, universities are zoom schooling. You don't have parents buying pied de you know, that their kids can stay out. And then as an investment, you don't have rental activity, all that stuff. Um, I think I've told you before, I'm a, I teach market analysis at Columbia, their summer semester every year. Mm. And uh, we zoomed and, you know, my class is 120 students and 80 or 70% of them are from every state in America, it felt like. And then China, Africa, Europe, those are all apartments that would have been rented just in my class, right? And that's non-existent and that's all going to change. They're in their childhood bedrooms right now. That's exactly. That's and and, and not too happy about it. <laughs> the real competition is between the childhood bedroom or the apartment in Manhattan. That's that's right. Can we know um, about the types of leases that are being signed? Because the interesting thing that I've been looking at over the past kind of six months or so is the talk about the shift in demographics of New York. There are a lot of people who left, a lot of people came in, and there was really interesting data about the average earnings of those people. The average earnings definitely came down. The people Lower, that, yeah. Obviously, because the rents are cheaper. So right. what, what apart, do we know what, what types of rentals are doing well? What types so, right. So, uh, so first of all, you know, the way I've been describing this is it's a, the city is going to, I believe, go through a youth renaissance where uh, the demographics for the rental market, at least, are, you know, shifting younger, as you said, because it's more affordable. And I've always felt, and I've been saying for about the last three years that I felt the rental market went has some sort of affordability threshold Yeah, that the trade-off for living in a small apartment was, you know, fantastic public transportation, cultural activities, just great restaurants. And all that was compromised for the pandemic. So there was no anchor to keep many people there that were renting and they, you know, they, they moved elsewhere or, you know, temporarily full-time, whatever. And all of a sudden you have not only, you know, people coming back in. So you have this younger demographic um, uh, like we've had in past cycles. You also are going to have, um, you know, class A office space or, you know, any kind of office space. There's going to be greater affordability with that. And that's going to bring sort of breathe new sort of creative life uh, into the city. So Young um, companies that like would never have previously been able to afford space in these buildings. Right. And, and because the talent is here, mm. you know, and I think will remain here, you know, that's one of the draws for corporate America here. The talent pool is very high, you know, in terms of quality. And I think it just gets energized a little bit. So I'm not saying everything's fantastic. I'm just saying <laughs> that it is a, you know, it's a pivot for the economy and the city that you know i think is was probably needed it was a, it was a little too luxury 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 and it wasn't you know it wasn't sort of it wasn't as interesting yeah there wasn't a lot of new blood going on it was yeah it felt to me it felt stagnant and and that's why i think there was such a rush to leave 
because of safety, because there was less to anchor. The yeah. rental market felt at first more than the sales market because, you know, rent, the, you know, a rental as a transaction is much a shorter term and, you know, less commitment than buying a property. So it was, it was, you know, it, it, it pivoted immediately, whereas yeah. the purchase market, it did not. It's a slow, lumbering, you know, expensive asset compared to rents. And and I was just somewhat taken aback by how big the disparity was in terms of, you know, how much activity plummeted um, right off the bat. I have some Irish friends and they say that um, New York right now is, is a little bit like Dublin was after the, because Dublin was hit really badly after the recession. Right. Uh, and then slowly as things change, you know, bars opened up and new businesses came in. Well, you know, and that's, that, and that's the sort of the, the, the concern I have is that, uh, you know, there's a, a tremendous, uh, you know, you have to remember that uh, 50, over 50% of tax revenue in New York City comes from real estate. Mm. And so... Uh, my my sense is, and I think most people is that uh, from 2019 on, there's been a very anti-development and um, uh, sort of landlord sentiment in tax yeah. policy, right? And so, you listen. I, you know, I'm not saying it's clearly. You know, there are issues that have to be addressed, but that's the concern I have because the tax base. You know, we don't, you, the, the whole idea now is to think of New York in a competitive way with other cities uh, that you have to compete. So that's the, what we're going to sort of, I think we're going to get a better sense of over the next couple of years as the markets come back. But it is, it is a concern. You know, I don't want to be all, you know, paint a picture of Rosie and it's like nothing, it'll be exactly the way it was. It won't be. Um, but it's encouraging that, you know, I've, been doing this since the mid 80s and you know i i went through 9-11 i went through lehman and the one thing is that the city does seem to come back pretty quickly mm -hmm. um and it but it also comes back a little bit differently and i think that's what we're going to find out which is i think kind of exciting how would you i mean what do you think is going to be different <laughs> well i think i think the city is going to be more eclectic um I think it became more homogenous in terms of development, in terms of, you know, my sort of luxury, luxury, luxury thought. And, uh, and that's what makes the city really interesting and attracting creative types, um, mm. which is, I think, something that is needed. You know, um, the whole, you know, the, the concept of new urbanism, uh, you know, walkability, you know, I, I only have to walk a block from my, you know, my food and my laundry and whatever. Yeah. Um, Four minute city. Is that what it is? So what? Yeah. 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 Everything is like, you know, within a, you know, a, a block or two, like that's your, your city. Yeah. And the problem with that is that it initially, you know, the idea was it was supposed to attract the creative class um, uh, and youth into the city. And it got really expensive really quickly. And this is a phenomenon, not just unique to New York, but every urban renaissance essentially pushed out the creative class, not, you know, not to sound, I'm no new, I'm no urbanist, but, uh, and I, and I think that's where, what we want to look for and what we'll see. And I think that's, what's going to be exciting. It all depends on the rent though. It's just. 
Right, right. And so, so, so the, the danger is, uh, danger to that phenomenon, certainly the, you know, landlords don't want this, but, uh, you know, the, the longer it takes rents to climb back, the longer this inbound of talent uh, will continue. And we just don't know what that trajectory looks like. Uh, but it's not the next five minutes, you know, it's, it's several years or more of this youth renaissance. And I think that'll, you know, have long-term benefits for the city. We just don't really know what they are yet. Um, I like this idea of a youth renaissance. I don't know if everyone's going to like that idea because I tell you something yeah. about youth, they don't earn that much money. That's kind of their thing. Exactly. Right. That's the challenge, right? So you have to hope that it attracts. So, you know, creates more jobs. Um, you know, we've already had, um, you know, the city is still heavily dependent on the securities industry. Securities industry accounts for something like 22, you know, 20 to 23% of wages. And, um, you know, but uh, uh, hiring has been flat to declining since the financial crisis. And then we've, uh, we've seen this, what I think is a commitment by tech, you know, Silicon Alley, um, which uh, is sort of the second highest wage earners after uh, securities. Yeah. And that's really expanded. And you saw signs that, you know, many of the big, you know, Facebook and Google, uh, you know, a lot of them are expanding their footprint. And I think, you know, we have to find, expand that and then, um, you know, find another sector to grow. And that's what I think we're going to figure out. You know, I uh, probably, well, it's probably 10 years ago, I wrote this article. It was uh, Douglas Allman Real Estate, the company I do all these uh, market studies for. It was their 100th anniversary. And so I went back and I looked over 100 years of Manhattan and I went through the New York Times archives for like real estate, you know, information on like rents and, you know, commentary. And I just remember reading in the 1920s, people were complaining about the same issues that they're complaining now. It's too expensive. You know, consumers from London and Paris are driving up the cost of housing. Wall Street will always continue to be a key driver of housing. This is like 1922 or 23. Um, so some things don't change all that much. And there's always going to be a tension between the cost of rental, you know, the affordability and, you know, attracting enough people to come into the city and help it thrive. I'm very excited about the sort of the next decade of New York City, especially Manhattan, because of this youth renaissance initially, I, it's weird, you know, it's hard to put your finger on exactly what it's going to do other than we've seen this before mm -hmm. and it's usually good. Well, let's see, you know, <laughs> if rents stay down 14%. Yeah, well, you know, that won't happen. It's a window of opportunity. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Let's My pleasure. Let's see how this renaissance and this clawback goes. Jonathan Miller, the CEO of Miller Samuel. I'm Miriam Hall. Thanks for listening.